Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Yeah, what's what's odd but interesting is high conflict people operate more emotionally. They have less emotional boundaries, which they spill out over onto the kids, which is a problem sometimes, but they have less emotional boundaries with themselves. So they have a feeling about something and it takes over. They're not able to say, wait, I can set that aside. And so they communicate more emotionally. They live more emotionally. Well, emotions keep changing minute to minute. So that means if you live emotionally, you live in chaos. And so reasonable people are able to kind of put a boundary up with their emotions, say, not now. I'm not going to yell and scream right now. I'm going to save that for when I get home alone. Then I can yell and scream. High conflict person can't do that. They just it just comes right out and it makes a mess and then they're emotionally upset they made a mess and then they try to clean it up in a way that upsets somebody else and and that's the chaos embarking on the journey into the next chapter of your life after divorce is often met with a mixture of excitement and fear everything is affected transitioning home and career managing your finances parenting as a single mom or dad and managing the emotions around step parents in your children's lives the world of online dating reconnecting with who you want to be in this new chapter of life and finding your passion purpose, sensuality, sexuality, and so much more. Tune in as we speak to the experts in every area of post-divorce life and support you to enter and navigate it as an adventure with a growth mindset and a heart of possibility. Welcome, Bill Eddy. I am so excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm really glad to be on. So today we're talking about, you know, we're in this life after divorce series and focusing on healthy living. And I just love that we have an opportunity to speak to you, uh, Bill, because so many of our listeners are either in the midst of divorce or post-divorce. And whether you're in divorce with a high conflict personality or not, there's just a lot of conflict involved 
And we love you. We love the work that we you do. We 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 love your BIF method, B-I-F-F, brief, informative, firm, and friendly. And I know you're going to talk about that and actually your new book today. Uh, but before we dive into that, to just give the listeners a little bit of background, I'm so curious what... What drives a person like you to spend your life in the world of high conflict? <laughs> well, I kind of stumbled into it. So in the 1970s, I got a job uh, as a, a school teacher, kindergarten teacher, and I did that for four years. But I really liked working with the children and parents together and more with the emotional issues and counseling. So I wanted to go into a counseling career. So I got a master's in social work, became a licensed clinical social worker for 12 years. But I also volunteered at a mediation center. And I liked resolving like legal types of disputes and helping people come to agreements to calm things down, kind of using counseling methods for legal problems. And I realized, you know, I think I really want to be a mediator. So to get there, I'm going to go to law school so I can write up mediation agreements and help people negotiate and all that. During law school, I feared, you know, I should represent clients in family court for a few years, as well as doing mediation. And when I got to court, I realized, whoa, I'm dealing with the same mental health issues that I was as a counselor. But in family court, nobody recognized those issues. And so I started telling judges and lawyers and mediators about personality disorders and high conflict personalities. I finally got to teach a law school class in 2000. And the students said, you know, you take your materials and add cases, you'll have a book. So in 2003, I wrote my book, got it, or published it myself at first, actually. And then a friend put it on a website, and then the world started finding it. And the rest is history. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's so interesting. The stepping stones that led you to where you are today and uh, co-founder of the High Conflict Institute. And, uh, you know, our listeners are all dealing with conflict. And so to begin this conversation, uh, so often we talk to our clients and listeners about the fact that um, we're triggered because we have an interpretation of what's being said or why it's being said. And, and so we get into a lot of story. When you talk to people about um, calming, right, calming uh, the upset, uh, where do you begin with that? Well, there's really two parts of that. One is calming yourself. And then if you can calm yourself, you can actually calm the other pe other person m most of the time by giving them an ear statement. And an mm -hmm. ear statement contains empathy or attention or respect. So that's E-A-R. And I learned that in calming clients as a lawyer and as a mediator. So it's calm yourself and then calm the other person. So just hearing that, I could imagine someone who's just all types of angry and feels victimized by their ex and what have you, 
that empathy would be um, quite a stretch. Absolutely. And I, I want to say, especially if someone's in a situation where there's a risk of violence, don't put any energy into an ear statement, put your energy into getting to a safe place. So I want to emphasize that. But if you can give an ear statement and calm the person down, you can actually make your life a lot easier. And I, to be honest, I doubted this myself until I saw it working. I was like, wow, you know, I, I tuned into what seemed to be going on under the anger. So, you know, I hear that you're worried about such and such, or I can see your frustration, um, or I I can tell how hard this is, or I know this is a difficult time. Those are all sentences that, that communicate empathy. Mm. And I find if you practice things like that, then you can kind of insert them into the conversation. And when people feel that you have empathy, attention, or respect for them, then they don't feel like they have to hit you over the head with how angry they are or upset they are. So while it may feel like the total opposite of what you want to do, I encourage people to try it. And when people do, I'd say 90% of the time, they find that it works. Not 100%, but I've seen about 90% of the time. It calms conversations so that people can then go into problem solving. Right. And, you know, as a as a coach, one of the things we know is that people want to be heard. They want to be listened to and heard. And I can hear how the empathy statement immediately tunes into uh, beneath the anger or whatever is being tossed at you, um, hearing what else is going on. Absolutely. And by not not um, reinforcing the anger. In other words, don't say, I see how angry you are with me, because you don't want to reinforce the anger. You want to say, I see how worried you are, or I hear your frustration. You want to address something that's under the anger. Right. And, and you don't have to be perfect. You can say, I can see how frustrated you are. And they'll say, well, I'm not frustrated. You go, oh, okay. It just seemed that way. Right. Um and I respect your efforts and and um, that project you did last week with Johnny. Um, he said he really enjoyed doing that with you. And so that's respect. Um, or wait a minute, I don't understand. Can you explain? Tell me more so I can understand um, your request. Someone's demanding and you can say, Wow, you know, can you can you tell me more? I want to understand your request. It's not a request, it's a demand. Okay. I hear you. I hear your frustration. So go ahead and tell me what's going on. Right, right. And so you're really your ear approach is inviting us to um sidestep sidestep the fiery dart. Yes, sidestep the fiery dart. I love that. Yes. Yeah. And and then come at it. And you're not saying agree with the person. You're not saying any of that. You're saying no. engage in the conversation. And this is I think this is such a hard thing to do, especially if you're fired up. And I know we'll get into that in a minute. But but the goal here um, for those of you listening is to imagine that you can 
you're engaged in a conversation, the other person's in whatever level of conflict they are. And instead of jumping in the same way, you're sidestepping that hostility and you're engaging in inquiry. Exactly. Yeah. You're spinning around. Just picture judo or jujitsu where someone's coming at you and you kind of grab their arm and turn them around and push them in the other direction. So their their negative emotions are coming at you and you shift in your brain. I'm going to go positive. You put your positive emotions out. Emotions are contagious. And so it calms the other person. Right. And you have to be able to make that shift. And that takes self-training to some extent. If they read the book all the way through, they'll start thinking that way. And if they use the words in the book as examples, they'll train themselves. It gets easier and easier to do. Excellent. And and again, the name of the book is Calming Upset People with Ear. Am I saying that correctly? Um, Which is the empathy, attention and respect. And so it's interesting, Bill, when we talk to our clients, one of the things uh, I, I always tell my clients is everyone wants to be heard and acknowledged. And when you acknowledge and validate, not necessarily agree, but acknowledge and validate the other person, it's almost like they begin to put their dukes down a little bit. And that's what I hear you saying Yeah, that's it exactly. Because when they feel that you connect with their experience or recognize their experience or their feeling, or that you want to listen to them, uh, or there's something you respect about them, that that just we find within 30 to 60 seconds, uh, people significantly calm down. The hard thing is being able to make that shift in yourself. Once you do that, you can really influence the other person in a positive way. And, and I think that for those who are sitting there saying, you know, screw him, screw her, you know, they're just a big thorn in my side. I think you're, the statement you just made is really important. Um, there's that saying, you, what is it? You, you can be right or you could be happy. Um, yes. And what I hear you saying is, well, even, even if they're a thorn in your side, if you're engaged in communication, you're probably looking for an outcome that's valuable for yourself or your child. Right. In other words, do you want to get what you want or do you want to fight about this for five minutes? And it's so easy to fall into, no, I want to let him or her know um, how wrong they are, how bad they are, what a difficulty they are. And, you know, I've been there, done that, right? We all have. And yet, what's the value in that? And and how long does the um, pleasure, if I could say, of that even last? Right. Right. And and my experience, you know, I used to do drug and alcohol counseling when I was a therapist, worked with parents and their kids with substance abuse issues. And the idea that a cocaine high, you know, just be wonderful for about 20 minutes and, right. <laughs> and things don't go as well. And I think that people are looking for that venting high. Mm. Well, I'm going to vent on him and that set him straight. Well, you know, you're not going to change his opinion. And so you feel all charged up. Now I feel that adrenaline rush. That's just really great. It doesn't last. And that's the thing. It doesn't last. 
You know, I just a story that comes to mind for me is I used to um, my 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 ex would call my child support my monthly extortion check. So there was, you know, there was a, a lot of a lot of conflict and hostility. And, and I had a lot of uh, my own uh, financial fear and scarcity mentality. And so I would uh, maybe unknowingly, maybe not like shame him a lot from month to month when the check didn't come through. And I don't know what caused me to do this, but I remember one month I said to him, you know, I, you know, I know you love the kids and you want to support them. And, and that finances are difficult on both sides of the, the situation. So anything that you could um, provide me at this time would be deeply appreciated. Um, and I practically fell off my chair because he got me some money. I said, thank you so much. He said, no, no, no. Thank you for your patience. I really appreciate it. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Look at that. You did it. You did it. You did ear statement. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was such a powerful and that was, and I think that there were probably a lot of other areas in our relationship, co-parenting relationship, I could have and didn't. But that was such a powerful example that um, that surprised me and helped in that in that topic on that topic for us to really engage a little differently. Yeah, that's an excellent example, yeah. and and uh, people are shocked to see the shift. And when it happens, it's like, wow, I'm going to do this again. Well, yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> one of the things I would love for you to touch on is uh, so often when somebody comes at us with some kind of anger or conflict or hostility, we immediately like jump into the ring. How do you avoid catching that person's um tone and emotion? Well, I think, first of all, is recognizing, oh, I'm catching their emotions, because emotions are contagious, are the amygdala in your brain, mirror neurons. When someone else wants to fight with you, you, you start fighting back, even before you're conscious of it almost. But you can override that. That's like the prefrontal cortex in our brain says, no, 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 that's not what's going to help here. What we need is something, something different. And that's where an ear statement comes in. But the other thing is to tell yourself encouraging statements, to tell yourself ear statements, like it's not about me. It's about how upset he is. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not responsible for his behavior. And I'm not responsible for how he thinks because I'm not going to change it. And it's not worth bothering to try. So what you tell yourself can calm yourself. And then you can make an ear statement and calm the other person. Beautiful. Um, yeah. And doing this work, uh, it really requires a lot of conscious attention. Yes. And I'm wondering if you even have some tips for people like I have clients who have co-parenting meetings that are scheduled or conflict typically happens during a drop off or a pickup. And so what can someone do uh, knowing that they're entering the arena, right? What can they do beforehand that might help them 
be more tuned in to that. I don't want to catch his or her emotion. Yeah. Well, what I find, and I actually call this like I've done a lot of high conflict mediation and I go in telling myself, Bill, remember, it's not about you. It's about their frustrations with each other. Um, Bill, you're not responsible for their outcome. You're going to help them, but they may or may not go in a good direction. And sometimes it's better if they go to court because one side is a bully and I'm not going to help a bully, you know, take advantage of the other person. So I, I call it putting on my armor. I also tell them, tell myself, um, often the issue is not the issue. Someone mm. wants to be respected. And that's why they're arguing about their child support amount or about the schedule, that half hour on Friday afternoon and who gets that. And so I can be more relaxed about that and help them look at proposals rather than going, oh, my goodness, this is a crisis and I have to fix everything. Because when you come at a high conflict person, like everything's a crisis and you have to change them. Right. Not only do you not change them, but you make your communication worse. Right. And so I've, I've kind of learned. So I put on my armor beforehand and then I don't take things personally. And while they're upset or one of them's upset, I can be calm about, OK, let's keep looking for solutions here. What's the next proposal instead of reinforcing arguments about the past? And by the way, that's an important thing, I think, for your listeners is with high conflict people, try to focus on the present, not the past, um, because they will argue about the past forever. And you can't win that um, because they're stuck, stuck in their thinking and high conflict people are stuck in the past. Um, your listeners probably noticed that. Yeah. And there could be a lot of revisionist history and you just go down the toilet together exactly. when you're dealing with that. Exactly. Yeah. So I love that you said, don't take it personally. I think that oftentimes if you're married to a high conflict personality, you have a tendency to be a little bit codependent. And with codependent, we, we can be very sensitive. We can take things personally. And I've often had clients say, well, it's, it's, it's my wife. How could I not take it personally? And then you ask a couple of more questions and it's like, no, she behaves that way with everyone. So then, <laughs> well, so then if she behaves that way with everyone, then it's actually not personal to you. You do happen to be her spouse, but it's not personal to you. And so I love that, that idea that, and even the concept of I'm going to put on my emotional armor, uh, to me, it's it's like setting your head in your heart. It's like I'm I'm walking into something that can often be a slippery slope into a not great place. And so I'm going to prepare myself for preparing my head and my heart. I'm going to put my armor on. I'm going to remember not to take it personally. And I'm going to listen for what's beneath the demand or the request or the statement. Yeah, yeah. And that really, it can calm you. What you tell yourself can calm your own emotions. And then you can be much more effective at actually calming uh, the other person. I have one more trick, but I don't know that you want to have people tell the person about this. And that is that sometimes I just picture upset people as five-year-olds 
because when I was a kindergarten teacher, I had, of course, lots of upset five-year-olds. And what I learned is I just need to pat them on the head and redirect them. You know, Johnny, Johnny, we're going this way. Johnny, we're going this. Good, Johnny. Good, Johnny. And so. And big Johnny isn't so different than little Johnny is what you're saying. (laughs) Exactly. But certainly don't ever tell the person that you're picturing them as a five-year-old. Right. (laughs) That doesn't go well. Every divorce has its unique challenges. Having helped people in many different high-conflict divorces, I know that when children and alcohol are involved, the situation becomes even more challenging. Whether you are concerned about child safety when an ex is co-parenting, or trying to prove your sobriety for custody, finding a reliable system that you trust can be difficult. That's why I love and recommend Soberlink. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system makes it easy to document sobriety in real time, ensuring child safety and providing tangible evidence of sobriety to the court as needed. It's easy to use and has features like facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting that all work together to improve your life during this difficult time. To help those in my audience who are going through divorce with children, I've worked with Soberlink to develop five tips for divorces involving children that you can download at www.soberlink.com backslash JBD. I do think that especially when it feels intimidating to be able to see that the other adult in the conversation might be throwing a an emotional tantrum. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I should answer a question I think you were suggesting before, and that is people go, why should I say something, have empathy, attention, and respect for someone who's treating me pretty nasty? Yeah. And one of the stories I put in here about strangers was just so powerful when I heard this story about 10 years ago. And this is the one where a woman was taken hostage in her own home by a man, an escaped prisoner who had killed three people that morning. And it was on the news. He was on the loose. And he somehow ended up at her apartment and took her hostage for about eight hours. And she had every right to be angry with him for that. But she spent the next eight hours essentially giving him ear statements. She gave him empathy. She paid attention. She respected his efforts with this and that. And one thing she mentioned is in many ways, he was like a six-year-old boy Mm -hmm. who was lost and in trouble and felt misunderstood. And by giving him essentially ear statements for about eight hours, he let her leave in the morning And she convinced him to give himself up to the police peacefully. So it's an amazing story. It's near the end of the book about strangers. But whenever someone says, why should I have to be nice to somebody being mean to me? I'll say, well, just imagine if you were in this situation, she had to be nice to survive. And and I think that the value that you're describing of, uh, of being kind, um, 
showing grace and mercy, perhaps, uh, is that especially if you're dealing as a co-parent, it's it's better for your co-parenting relationship. It'll certainly be better for your children. And I'm a big fan of paying it forward. So anything yes. we learn, our job is to then pay forward to our children. And so whether your children are in grade school or emerging adults, uh, these kinds of the biffs and the ears, I mean, this is this can be used in so many different situations. It's it's really giving our children such a gift to um, maybe do life better than we did in many ways. Yes, absolutely. And I want to mention, I tried to write this so that even high school students could learn this method, because I think if they learn it early on in their lives, they'll realize they can manage a lot of relationships at work, romantic relationships, friendships going forward, just having a tool like this. You know, Bill, we often talk about uh, our clients as um, tossing emotional grenades across the room. <laughs> and yep. everyone's blowing up and nobody wants that. Everyone really, well, certainly the the ordered minded individuals want the conflict to dial down. Um, and I'm curious because since you have so many different backgrounds, your psychological <laughs> background, that whole concept that um, people with personality dis disorders actually are more comfortable in chaos. Um, can you just talk a little bit about that? Because I think that could really help our listeners too. Yeah, what's what's odd but interesting is high conflict people operate more emotionally. They have less emotional boundaries, which they spill out over onto the kids, which is a problem sometimes, but they have less emotional boundaries with themselves. So they have a feeling about something and it takes over. They're not able to say, wait, I can set that aside. And so they communicate more emotionally. They live more emotionally. Well, emotions keep changing minute to minute. So that means if you live emotionally, you live in chaos. Yes, right. And so reasonable people are able to kind of put a boundary up with their emotions, say, not now. I'm not going to yell and scream right now. I'm going to save that for when I get home alone. Then I can yell and scream. High conflict person can't do that. They just it just comes right out and it makes a mess. And then they're emotionally upset. They made a mess and then they try to clean it up in a way that upsets somebody else. And, and that's the chaos. So if you live driven by your emotions as an adult, um, you're going to have a lot of chaos. And I think that seems to be what's happening. That's a big difference between high conflict people and reasonable people is they have a harder time reasoning. Reasonable people have better emotional management, and that really makes a big difference. So you said that really interesting. I was under the assumption that they were more comfortable in the chaos, and maybe they don't even know what they're more comfortable in, but just that the chaos is all they know because living in the emotional turmoil is all they experience. I would say they're more familiar with chaos and that they would like you to be upset too. So you can feel like they do and right. they don't feel as alone. Right. And so they're often projecting their chaos onto the people trying to help them. Um, 
So it's it's a familiarity because they're not really happy. My experience is high conflict people, by and large, are frequently upset. Uh, they push friends away. They really don't lead happy lives and they don't connect the dots from their own behavior to what happens to them. So they don't know what to change and they don't try to change anything. They just stay frustrated. And if if a tool like this can help you, the listener, um, supply your children with a an approach to mom or dad that would invite some type of relationship with that high conflict person, then that ends up being a win-win. Yeah. And, and that's really, you can not only calm the moment, but you can teach the skill to your kids. Um, and the first example I have in the book is a mother and son who's going back to school at seven years old after being away all this time. And his best friend now has a new best friend. And so at first she says, well, don't worry about this, Joey, you know, you'll, you'll, um, you'll find another best friend. And he's like frustrated by that. And then she says, you know, I feel that way too sometimes. Mm-hmm. And he just, you know, gives her a big hug, calms down and, and is so relieved that he's not alone with that emotion. So that's an example, but you can teach kids this, and especially high school level, I think um, they can really learn to do this. It'll get them out of a lot of uh, angry situations. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's a great one. And I think even though I've been asking about high conflict, I think it's so important to state that, you know, this is this is for everybody. If, if, if uh, I'm having an argument with one of my adult children or a disagreement, uh, you know, it's it's for everyone because we all engage in conflict and we all get our feathers ruffled and and we can all overreact. And this really keeps things calm. Yeah, <laughs> it really helps. So in the book, I have all these examples. I have post-divorce couple arguing over soccer. Uh, I have a father and teenage daughter arguing over a camping trip. And at any time, you can turn the conversation around and that's, that's the key. And, you know, a lot of times we talk to clients about uh, reflective listening and and yeah. not responding until you're certain that you understand what the other person said. This is a little different. Can you kind of compare contrast that so that that's clear? Yeah, this goes <laughs> a little bit beyond reflective listening, which is a good skill to have. But reflective listening reflects back what you've heard. So if somebody says, um, I'm I'm angry with you for being half an hour late. And you say, okay, what I hear is that you're angry with me for being half an hour late. And if it's a high conflict person, that they're going to escalate. They're going, darn tootin', I'm angry with you. It's all your fault. So instead, an ear statement, you want to connect with what's under the anger and let them know you can empathize with that. I can see your frustration. I want to help with this. Let's see what we can do for the future. So that it's it's giving empathy, giving attention, giving respect, not just reflecting back what you heard. Right. And, and I think that what I'm hearing in that is 
letting, you really have to let go of um, being the right one. Because yes. what's more important is resolving the problem. So you think I was intentionally doing X, Y, and Z, and, and that, that that's the slippery slope. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were. And that whole thing. Whereas this is really just focusing on what triggered the other person, um, acknowledging it, and uh, and moving the conversation in a more productive way. Yeah. Yeah, you're not just reflecting, you're moving forward. That you're saying, let's look at what we can do. I, I hear your frustration, or I respect um, your concern about that. And so you're giving, you're not right. just leaving them there and saying, okay, I heard you. Right. And, and the attention piece, like you've given us a couple of examples for the empathy. So when you say attention... I heard you say earlier, like, tell me more about that. What would be a couple of other attention statements? Uh, yeah, that I, I will pay attention to your concerns. If you're having a meeting with your ex and, and you say, you know, I want to understand your concerns on these issues. Um, so let's take turns or whatever you're going to do. But the message is I'm going to listen and I'm interested. Right. Tell me more is so easy to say. Um, that's one of my favorites, because if I don't know what else to say, I'm going to say, tell me more. And while they're telling me more, I'm starting to understand maybe where the problem is between us. Right. And so if the attention statement is more along the lines of tell me more, um, run, run the respect statements by us again. So it really depends on what's happening. So you can say, I respect your relationship with our daughter. Um, I, I remember I have one high profile client um, and we figured out her ex had a lot of narcissistic traits. And I said, sprinkle your conversations with the word respect. And she did say, whenever I'd say I respected something about him, he calmed down. She said it was amazing. But think of something. In other words, that project you did last week or, you know, congratulations on your promotion at work. Um, or I respect your concern about the summer schedule. Um, things like that. So it's really situational what, what, the, what you see that you can respect. But it doesn't hurt to think ahead to things that you can say that may be respectful. And a lot of people talk about narcissists these days, and respect is often a word they just love to hear because usually no one really respects them anymore because they're acting so narcissistic. Right. <laughs> right. And the opposite of that is like what I did with my ex when I yeah. shamed him and, and guilted him for the way he behaved instead of thanking him and inviting him in. in many ways, we're inviting the other person into their best selves. And I think that, I think that one has to tell me what you think about this, uh, keep their expectations in check. Like your own, you only have control over what you can do. And so I'm hearing that if I were using ear statements with my adult children, with my ex, with whoever else I have any conflict with, at a bare minimum, I am um, 
feeling good about the way I'm showing up and I'm doing my part to invite uh, ease and resolution through that conversation. And that's as far as my control goes. Yes. And you're absolutely right. People feel better after they give ear statements. They'd tell me, you know, what I said to him was such and such. And he he just didn't quite know what to do with that. But I felt so good because I didn't get hooked into the argument. I didn't right. throw mud back. Right. You know, I just threw the mud away. Right. And so it's it's and like you said, the best self, I find high conflict people even let's say they're 90 percent high conflict. But there's that part of them that you can work with and cooperate with. And this focuses on that part. Yeah. And so for those listening who aren't dealing with high conflict, but they are dealing with um, really tender topics, uh, whether or not we're going to medicate our child who's been diagnosed with ADHD or whether or not we're going to uh, allow our child to do something maybe in the re religious realm that's very triggering, right? And parents have different opinions. Even in situations like that, um, the, the topic is so triggering. Uh, you know, and can you just speak to that for a moment? Yeah, I think you have to prepare yourself when you know you're heading into a high conflict topic. And because when you're caught off guard, you can often say a lot of stuff before you realize you're saying a lot of stuff. And that's to me is really kind of preparing yourself. Another thing is if you're going to have a difficult conversation is practice with a friend um, or a family member. Um, I do a lot of consultation and I do role play consultation uh, via Zoom or even over the phone. And and people find it really helpful because they say, now I have some words I can use. I couldn't think of the words I could use. And I have some confidence. And so I think practice with this whole method, really practice. Um, if people like read the whole book, they'll hear so many ear statements, they'll start to come a little more automatically. Um, but you have to prepare because we're all human and even I get hooked and, and I still get surprised sometimes like, oh, darn, I've been teaching this for 15 years and I just got defensive instead of giving a near statement. And so um, from that, I hear um, uh, progress, not perfection. Yes. Uh, so if Bill Eddy can get triggered, we all can get triggered and it's okay. <laughs> you just keep trying to get better at it. And so um, calming upset people with ear is, it sounds to me like this book is uh, almost like a coaching book where it gives you um, the theory behind it, uh, some of the words to use, uh, examples of how it works. And by doing so, what I'm hearing you say is, number one, you're going to feel better about yourself. Uh, you're going to be engaging in conversations for the primary purpose of resolving rather than being right. And even if the other person continues to ramp up their conflict, you can hold your line and feel good that you've done your best. And then uh, the outcome is going to be the outcome. You can't hang your hat on that because you don't have full control. Yeah. Yeah. And you can set limits with this method. You can say, you know, I can't do that. 
I can understand that's frustrating for you, but I, I can't do that. I can't go that far. Right. Something like that. And setting limits with kids, you know, you, you know, I know this is difficult, but here's what I have to do as a parent. Right. And so literally going through the entire conversation and just keeping that cool and that calm and the chips fall where they fall. But what a great example for both the other person and, and yourself to, to learn that I can actually learn how to not be triggered by anyone. I'm, I'm currently um, living with and supporting my mom who's getting on in years and, you know, mothers mm. and daughters have like that umbilical cord. So it's <laughs> like, so I'm thinking, wow, I've been getting triggered lately. And, uh, and so this is great for me, Bill, to hear, because I think that, you know, we could use it with everyone. And, you know, our listeners know that that our desire is to see them heal and refine themselves and become their best selves through and beyond divorce, because it's going to be painful and difficult. So let's let's make sure we use the fuel of that um, for something good. And and your conversation with me today is perfect because it's saying, take a look at how you communicate. And in difficult situations, there's a maybe not easy, but simple yes. approach. Absolutely. And that's, that's what we try to do is develop simple approaches so that under pressure, you can go, now, what was that? What did that E stand for? Oh, yeah, empathy. Let's see, what can I empathize with? Right. Or, Ask, tell me more attention. So it just makes it simple under pressure. Right. So is there anything I haven't asked you um, about the, the basics of, of your book and the ear approach that you want to share with our listeners before we wrap up? Just the idea that either person at any time can turn the conversation around. And in the book, I have examples. I go into workplace conflicts. Um, political conflicts. I have a case where two people are in the, the aisle at a grocery store, one with a mask and their child has a mask and the other person coming at them doesn't have one. And they both tell each other that they should do the opposite of what they're doing and they're heating up. And then I give example of how either one could calm the conversation. And so at any time, and I think today there's so much negativity coming at us to be able to turn that around. Any individual can make it better. And if enough individuals do ear statements, I think it'll be a more peaceful world. Right. Be the change you want to see in the world, right? Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. So the book is Calming Upset People with Ear. And where can people find that? People can get it anywhere. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any bookstore can order it. They can also come to our website, which is highconflictinstitute.com. That's www.highconflictinstitute.com. And we've got a lot of books there. Um, we've also got videos, articles, uh, consultation, just a lot of resources. We also have a parenting course that sometimes uh, courts order it, 
Um, a lot of people take it on their own. It's an online 12 session uh, parenting class, and they can also get that at our other website, which is conflictplaybook.com. That's www.conflictplaybook.com and take that course. And I think it's around $50 now for 12 sessions. And it's really useful tools. And judges have ordered it at times. And they say people seem to calm down after taking that uh, course. So that's a resource that's pretty inexpensive for anybody. Well, I had to take a parenting course. I divorced many years ago, it was about 15 years ago. And I went to the court to take this parenting course. And it was a video that looked like it was, you know, created in the 1960s. And it was just so um, uh, outdated. So if, if you're in that situation, if you're listening and you need to take a parenting class, I would say, go on over to um, Bill Eddy's site and do that one because it'll be a lot more effective. And and finally, the last thing I I know we didn't chat much about this, but um, I said in the beginning that Biff is one of our big um, tools that we use. Well, let me talk about Biff for a minute while you do that. (laughs) Brief, informative, friendly, and firm. And as of about six months ago, we have a Biff book for co-parent communication. Excellent. And it's got 28 examples. And again, if you read that book, by the time you're done, you can almost do it in your sleep. Yeah. So it's an easy way to learn and an easy way to calm conversations. And, and again, Bill Eddy, he's, he's the guru of high conflict and uh, you're not going to get any better advice than that. So, so I really encourage you to check out his website and his books and uh, gift yourself them so that you can have uh, a more peaceful uh, co-parenting relationship, a more peaceful relationship with other people in your life, and just feel better about the way that you're engaging in these complicated conversations. I just want to mention that Biff is for written communication and ear is for verbal communication in case people are wondering what's the difference there. So I wanted to clarify that. Yeah. Yeah. And we often talk about biffing your emails and your texts and what Mm -hmm. have you before you send them off. So, Bill, this has just been wonderful. I want to thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to share your wisdom and your advice with our listeners. I very much appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be on with you. You're very encouraging. And I can see your clients benefit from that. Thank you. And all of the resources that Bill mentioned are in the show notes, which you can find um, on whatever program you listen to your podcast. So go check those out and get those hot links and you will uh, be hearing from us again real soon. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching 
group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.